It's good to be here this morning. It's good to preach. Um, I'm Nathan, by the way. Nathan Locks, I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and we are going to continue on in the book of Mark. We've been there for a minute, hadn't we? Man, there's a, there's a few of y'all in here now. Y'all need to get right after football last night, don't you? Yeah. Y'all are like, man, we're doing something wrong. We need to go pray or something. I don't know. There's going to be people all over Tennessee working in animal shelters today and giving blood. Um, it won't be orange anymore. Anyway, uh, no, it's, it's good to see everybody. But we're going to go through the book of Mark. And uh, Mark is one of the three what's called synoptic gospels, excuse me, and I love it. And it's funny, every time I like, really study one of the gospels, I say this, but oh, it's my favorite. Right, and then I'll go read John, I'm like, oh, it's my favorite. Then I'll read Matthew, it's my favorite. I can say that Luke's not my favorite, but the dude was at least thorough. So that's, that's good. I mean, we've got some details, and that's nice. But Mark is so intriguing because it wasn't his wit- eyewitness at all. It was the Apostle Peter's. And so it's an interesting perspective. Here you've got kind of the ringleader of all the 12 disciples, and he didn't sit down one day and just say, okay, write all this down. And that's why Mark is not necessarily in chronological order sometimes. But rather, he, like, through years of just discipling Mark, Peter, walking around, would tell him stories about Jesus. And he'd teach him what Jesus taught him. That's, that's what being discipled is. That's what discipleship is. That's how we grow. That's how we help people grow, is we actually spend time with them, which I know is really tough to do, because sometimes people just are terrible, right? But... It is, it's worth it, and that's how we disciple. We, don't, we can't expect just to walk in here every Sunday morning and walk out and like go, wow, I, I can really, really know how to like live for Jesus now. You've never seen it. So Peter brings someone along with him, and he's telling this stuff. So Mark has kind of a flair for the, the uh, artsy in him, I guess is a good way to put it. And so he's kind of into literature. So he puts all these cool things in there to help us see and interpret, and there's symbols and there's even sandwiches. I know that sounds cool, uh, but there are, that's what they're even called in theology. There's sandwiches all over the place. But it's a cool book, and I love it. And everything that we've been working on through Mark for what, nine months or something, like crazy? It comes down to today. It comes down to today. And I'm not gonna lie. I, we, could, we could like go through this chapter today, Mark 15, about 50 different ways. Like we could sit down and we could talk about every single mention and every, uh, not circumstance, but like every cool detail of how these things fulfill prophecy. Like it connects, it connects the Old Testament in all these amazing ways to Jesus. It just shows and proves over and over and over like this has to be the Messiah, the promised one, the Christ, the one that God sent his son. We could go through that. We could sit down and we could talk about all the medical like things that the crucifixion entailed. We could talk about really in depth about Jesus' suffering. We could talk about all the characters that are in it. It's crazy. And you're like, man, it's not April. Why are we talking about this? <laughs> but what I, I like prayed over and over, and I was gonna do it five different ways, and I realized that it would take four hours for y'all to be here, and we didn't want to do that. So there's, Paul says something 
uh, in the New Testament, and I'll paraphrase. He basically says, I didn't use words of eloquent wisdom because I, I didn't want to rob the cross of its glory. And what, what he's saying is, I didn't want to get up here and wax poetic. I didn't want to get up here and preach some great sermon or use some big million-dollar words because the cross is already good enough. It's simple and it's beautiful. And so the Holy Spirit just said, dude, just, just tell them about the cross. Like, okay, which is interesting. I've been in ministry for a really long time. In fact, I'd say uh, I'm, I'm, you know, that many. And then, uh, yeah, I've been in ministry almost 20 years, and I've never preached the crucifixion. So you're welcome. Uh, this is the rough draft, all right? Let's get going. Um, if you have a Bible, open to Mark 15. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We're gonna hook you up. And if you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to take it home with you. It is our gift to you. So as you're turning there, just kind of, we gotta know what's going on. We can't ever take any kind of anything from the Bible out of context. We gotta know what's happened right before it, right? That's what we gotta know. And something pretty big happened right before that. Like I said, Mark, this, what he wrote here is a, a tale of Peter's account, the Apostle Peter. This is kind of his experience, right? And something just happened with Peter that's, mm-mm-mm. All right, what is it? Anybody remember last week? Did, what, did y'all fall asleep? Oh, man, I'm sorry. Was he not good? No. Huh? The denial of Jesus, right? So Peter, hey, okay, so, I don't know. You have a friend like Peter? I, I bet you've got a friend like Peter. Like, Dude is just hardcore about everything. You know what I mean? He, he would be the, and he's not just fun hardcore. He'd probably be the guy that you're good friends with, but every once in a while, you, you see what he posts on Facebook, and you're like, oh, gosh, am I going to block him now or not? Like, it's that guy. Because, like, yeah, he's fun, and he is, like, just rock out hardcore dude about everything he's into, but he is, like, super into this whole, like, Let's get the current guy out and get a new guy in kind of thing. And it just sounds like a crazy election. And so sometimes he would post, he would post weird Facebook comments. That's all I'm saying. He'd be the guy if you like brought up something like, hey, we're going to go blow up the temple. He'd be like, I'll think about that. Yeah, I will. I'll actually think about it. And so he's this zealot. They call him a zealot. He is fired up and he is all about what they're about. He is the biggest activist for them. He's the oldest of all these disciples, and more than likely, how do y'all picture the disciples, right? Bunch of like middle-aged dudes walking around. Some, like there's always, like Judas is always bald in the Passion Place. Have you noticed that? Like we take, the, we take the betrayer, and we're like, we're gonna make him ugly and bald, all right? That's just kind of how we do. Uh, but, and Peter's always the oldest. He's probably in his 60s. No, 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 no. Peter was definitely the oldest, but he's probably in his mid-20s. Uh, y'all know anybody in their early 20s? Mid-20s? Uh, are they passionate? Mm -hmm. Do they think they know everything? Yeah, that's Peter. Uh, that's Peter. And all the rest of them are younger. In fact, John, the youngest of the 12, he's still kind of a kid, like a kid kid. Um, young. So we, we've got to put a different perspective on it. Think about this. You're sitting in this room because a bunch of teenagers decided that they would be faithful and follow Jesus couple thousand years later, 
and, and we're afraid to talk to our neighbor. You know, so I am too, don't get me wrong, right? He was ex-military, scares me a little bit. My yard gets high, he mows a little bit of it. And every time, he mows a little bit more, every time. I think he's trying to tell me something, but I haven't asked him about it because I appreciate that he's moaning a little bit, so that's what I have to do. Great guy, though, great guy. Uh, they changed the world, and Peter is the oldest one of them. He's the zealot. And so what has just happened is that Jesus has been arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, and before that, they were eating the Passover meal, and uh, Jesus told Peter that before the, before the rooster, like, so in the morning, before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. You'll claim you don't know me. You'll claim you hate me. You have nothing to do with me. Peter says, never me. You know I'm the most hardcore about you, Jesus. Like, I would die for you. Literally, I would, he said, I'd die for you. And then what happens? Jesus gets arrested. They take him to the, uh, the high priest. And they have an illegal trial, by the way. I don't know if Chris talked about that. The trial is completely illegal according to Jewish law, 100%. A completely illegal trial with false witnesses. They drum up people just to lie. And none of those testimonies can corroborate, like they're not the same. So, yeah, that's what's happening. There's, just, there's a, a pretty large faction within the whole Sanhedrin, which is the governing body. And so a lot of them are corrupt, especially the higher-ups, and they want to kill Jesus because... And, and we're going to see this because they're envious, they're jealous, they, he's a threat, they're, he's going to ruin them. They know who he is too, they know who he really is, and they know that their time is up, that's what they think. So they, they try to do this illegal trial in the middle of the night during Passover, This doesn't happen, it's not supposed to. And so they take him to all these different places, well, Peter's outside in the courtyard, but he can hear inside and he he hears it's getting rough, right? And so John actually is there too, but he, the, the high priest knows him, so he gets to come in the house. Well, he walks outside to Peter and this servant girl and says, hey, can you bring him in? And then when, she comes, when he, Peter comes in, she brings him in, the girl's going, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute. Dude, 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 you're, you're one of those guys with Jesus. And he's like, uh-uh, not me. I don't know what you're talking about, right? Once and. Again, it happens. She looks at all the other people standing around this fire because it's really cold, but you don't think about like Israel being super, super cold, but it is the desert kind of, and it's nighttime. It probably was very cold, all right? And so they're all standing around this fire, and the girl goes, no, I'm pretty sure, and she's talking to the other people around, isn't he, isn't he that guy that was with Jesus? He is, and he starts emphatically saying, no, I'm not. Why are you doing this to me? You've got it all wrong. And then the, all the other guys, like their guards, their soldiers hired by the high priest, the Jewish kind of government, and they say, no, nah, dude, you're Galilean. We can hear your accent, right? That's like saying, no, no, we, we know that you're a Yankee, right? They're, no offense to y'all, few out there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we, like, we, you can't hide it anymore, man. The, the cowboy hat doesn't fool us down here, right? Uh, but you're Galilean, and he literally curses. He starts cursing, like just emphatically, you ever seen anybody try to prove, prove that they didn't do something? Um, if you're a parent of a teenager, then uh, if you haven't yet, you will. <laughs> where, you, where were you last night? No, it's just where I said I was gonna be. Where were you last night? Mom, right, it's that kind of thing. Like, and you, 
eventually, it, it doesn't end well. Uh, but yeah, so that's what Peter does, and he goes ballistic. He curses, completely curses himself, curses them, curses Jesus himself. And as soon as he does, the rooster crows for the second time, and he remembers what Jesus had said a couple hours earlier. I mean, a couple hours earlier, literally, when they came to arrest Jesus, Peter had been carrying a sword, right? He's a zealot, yeah? He, he had that concealed carry a little bit going on, right? And he's the inventor of it. Uh, so he, he sorry, is that, is that not PC enough? Can I talk, not talk about toting guns around? Sorry, it's, a, it's okay. We carry our swords around with us, it'll be fine. All right, uh, so he's carrying his sword, and he, they come to arrest Jesus, and he kind of tries to prove it that he'll die for Jesus, and he pulls his sword out, and he strikes the high priest's servant, Malchus, in the, in the ear and cuts it off. Of course, Jesus, is, he's got, you know, some talents. And so he reaches down, picks up the ear, and reattaches it. Boop, bop, there you go, right? I'm sure all the people who came to arrest him who were like, oh, you're, you don't have any, you know, you're not anything special. You're just a crazy guy. When they saw that ear go back on, they were like, yeah, we're still going to take you in, right? I mean, the crazy stuff happening. And just hours earlier, he's pulling a sword to fight, and, and now he's denying Jesus himself. And so it says he just falls down and weeps as soon as he hears a rooster crow. Have you ever felt shame like that? Have you ever felt like immense regret and guilt like that? And here, here's why. Peter was so sure that Jesus was who he thought he was, that he was willing to lay his life down for him. He said it all the time. He followed him everywhere. He's the one who stepped out of the boat onto the water, right? He's the one who said, I want to have the faith. Like, I'll believe what you have to say, Jesus. In fact, in Mark 8, he's the, when Jesus says, who do, you, who do everybody say that I am? And a lot of the disciples say, well, some people say you're Moses, and some people say you're Elijah. And he says, Peter, who do you say I am? And he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Like, Peter seems to be the one, right? And he curses Jesus in his time of need and support. And you know why? Because at that time, I don't know if you've ever wondered why there's so many Roman soldiers in Jerusalem, right? There are all these stories. There was what they called the insurrection. And it's in the history books. Like it's, you could go look at Roman history. There was an insurrection in this little place called Jerusalem. And basically it was an uprising trying to overthrow the government, trying to reestablish the nation state of Israel away from Roman rule. Well, that didn't work out so well, okay? And here's Passover, where basically all these people pilgrimage in to make a sacrifice for the year with their Passover lamb or whatever they have. So they're coming from everywhere. Well, guess what? To the Romans, that kind of looks like reinforcements, okay? So the Romans bring in battalions and battalions of soldiers, 600 soldiers in a battalion, keep bringing them in, soldiers everywhere. You talk about tension being high. That means normally that population of that city, like it, it, it's exponential, it multiplies by 10, but then you add in equal number of Roman soldiers, everything is popping at the seams. There is energy everywhere. There is like violent tension everywhere. There's mistrust going on all over the place. And here comes Jesus riding in on a donkey and everyone's saying, like laying palm leaves down at his feet and basically saying, Glory to God in the highest, Hosanna. You've come from God to liberate us. This is literally like a couple months after this first big deal, right? And we, we gotta know that. So it's 
probably why Peter was carrying a sword around, first of all. But the reason that Peter denied Jesus so vehemently is because he was scared for his life. The Romans were pretty smart. They didn't become one of the greatest empires ever, ever, ever because they were soft with people. They knew how to handle a country that they'd invaded and taken over, that they'd occupied. So when there was an uprising, you know what they did? They took the leader of that uprising and they publicly humiliated him, shamed him, and crucified him outside of the city as a testament. As people walked in, they were like, hmm, don't want to try to start anything here because I'll end up hanging on that, right? Here's the interesting thing. They'd find every single person who ever thought about following them and kill them all. How do you ensure that you don't get overthrown, right? You, you just take them out of the herd, right? And I'll tell you what, it's a pretty powerful statement when you walk around, and I don't know how big this insurrection was roughly, but it was in the, the 1,000, 2,000 number of people that they tracked down, hunted down, and killed. In fact, we're going to meet one of them here in just a minute. So Peter, it comes crunch time, man. He's right there in the middle of it. He's like feet away from where they're trying him. He's standing next to the guards that, that the, the soldiers they've hired, like they're the ones who could just grab him and take him in. So he denies Jesus and he falls down and he weeps. And it's interesting now because the rest of this chapter and chapter 16, it's not Peter's voice anymore. In his shame, in his fear, he goes and he hides. You know how I know that Peter loved Jesus and was changed by Jesus? Because he's the one who exposed every weakness and fault and failure of his own. You see that? Would you like be the one who's expounding on how you just screwed it up royally? Like when, when you make a mistake and your spouse goes, honey, um, question for you, did you do this? What do you usually say? Yeah, right? No, you don't go, yes, let me tell you how I did it and what I was thinking while I did. And in the middle of it, I thought, she's gonna be mad about, about this, but I went ahead and kept doing it, right? We, we, we don't do that. Peter is willing to share every single bit of this. It is proof that Jesus transforms hearts, period. He is not, he, and he realizes this, it was probably the thorn in his side. It was probably the thing that, that made him, that tempted him to believe and be ashamed of himself, believe that his identity wasn't, he wasn't good enough or whatever it might be to, to do what he did later in life. But it is proof that he's a transformed heart when you can openly admit your faults, your failures, and your mistakes. And because Jesus in his great mercy and grace has forgiven you, use those things to help other people. Peter was a servant. Do you realize that? You can actually like, do just as much to preach the gospel to someone through your failures because it's not a natural thing when we fail to repent, to ask for forgiveness, to try to make things right, to be open about those types of things. Like, Christian, you're not perfect. And if you think or someone has taught you in the past that you are not good enough for us or for God because you're not perfect and you make mistakes, then please don't believe that lie. 
Your identity is not in your failures. Your identity is in the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. And that is sure. Jesus transforms things. So let's, let's actually get in the text here and let's start rolling. We're just gonna read this whole story. Y'all good with that? All right, we're gonna go around and popcorn and take turns. No. <laughs> you didn't realize you'd be speaking today? Oh, okay, ooh. I'm gonna try to... Here, watch this trick. And as soon as it was morning, <laughs> the chief priests <laughs> held a, cons- a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. And the chief priest accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. I'll kind of tag things as I go through. That's a prophecy fulfilled out of Isaiah 53. Now at the feast, uh, now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. This is a Roman tradition around Passover, Jewish one too, but since they ruled over Israel, they continued this tradition. They released one person that was imprisoned to the people, Passover week is kind of a good, you know, good faith offering, whatever you want to call it. Here we go. And among the rebels in prison, who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them, you know, release a prisoner. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? Jesus, he's kind of making fun of these chief priests who are trying to bring all these like completely false accusations up against Jesus. So do you want me to release the king of the Jews? For For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd. They were in, in amongst the mob. They were firing him up to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, then what shall I do with the man you call king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? but they shouted all the more. Can you imagine this scene? Like just put, put yourself in a scene right now. There's a huge crowd. Like I said, all these tensions are high. It's just screaming and screaming and screaming. And just in one voice, this crowd starts to sink up. And they want Jesus' head. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Mm. The soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion, 600 soldiers, 600 soldiers. And they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisting together a crown of thorns, about three and a half to four inches long thorns, right? They put it on him. And when they put it on him, they slammed it in his head. So it actually probably even punctured his skull, like the bone. So he's bleeding profusely. You know how many nerves are up there? Pretty uncomfortable, I'd say. After already being beaten 
three times and whipped with a cat of nine tails, which one, one, one stroke shy of killing a man. Um, the Romans were experts at torture and, and uh, capital punishment. It was an art to them, and they, they really thought highly of themselves for doing it. So Jesus at this point is macerated. I mean, he's probably to the point that he probably has internal organs showing across his sides. I mean, like it's bad, bad, bad. He's unrecognizable at this point. They put that cloak on him, this purple cloak and, and that, and they basically say, hail king of the Jews. They basically are saying, hail Caesar. Like that's their thing. and They're mocking him with it. Because in their mind, you know, they don't know any, any better. Jesus is being executed because he's a, a, he's a, uh, a uh, violator to the state. Like he's, he's treasonous. He's a traitor. He's tried to overthrow Caesar. That's what the Jews came in and said, right? They said, hey, he's, he's, he's trying to um, take over here, which he wasn't. They just wanted him dead because they didn't like him, so they made up a lie. Anyway, that's kind of where we are. So there, these 600 soldiers are beating him. 600 men are beating an already near-dead man, and they're mocking him. Jesus hasn't slept. Jesus prayed so hard that he bled. And there's a condition for that. I can't remember what it's called, but as he, when you do that, your skin actually gets like 120 more times more sensitive to touch. He's enduring this all while all this is going on. Just crazy. And, and, and think about it, he's all alone. And everybody he came for to, to help, his people, even his closest closest followers, Peter himself, have completely abandoned him. He goes on and says this. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes back on him. And then they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, someone who was just there for Passover. Simon of Cyrene, which is in northern Africa, by the way, who was coming in from the country. He's the father of Alexander and Rufus. Alexander and Rufus were actually members of the early church. Um, Like people would have known who they were because Mark knew who they were. Peter knew who they were. And they were Simon's son. Simon, he carries Jesus' cross. And it changes his life and his family's life, and it makes an impact even on us because we're reading about him. So Simon of Cyrene, who was coming from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross, and they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it because myrrh has a, a numbing agent in it, like a natural numbing agent, and he, he didn't want the numbing agent. He knew that he had come to suffer, and he didn't want anything to cloud the pain. He didn't want anything to cloud the focus and to distract him for what he was about to do. He was choosing to suffer. Choosing to suffer, and the most he could. And even he didn't really know what was coming. Like, he didn't really even know how excruciating or how awful it was going to be. He did not take it, and they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. So they stripped him naked, hanging in the air in front of everyone, which 
in Jewish law, if you expose yourself in front of anyone, really, um, if you're naked in front of anyone, you're, you're punished by death. It's that, it's that shameful, right? And uh, it's a reminder, too, that when Adam and Eve sinned, what did they realize? I mean, man, we can make connections to cool stuff all day long. Like, because we're going to see here in a minute that Jesus reverses all the fall. He reverses the effect of Adam and Eve. And here he is hanging in the air in front of all of Jerusalem during Passover. During Passover. The Lamb of God. Mm. So they divided his garments. He goes on to say, and it was the third hour when they crucified him. So they nailed him to a tree. Through his wrists, through his hands, crucifixion was still to this day one of the most heinous ways to die. Jesus, in fact, it took him six hours to die, and that was actually a pretty short time for someone to hang on a cross before they died. Uh, both of the nails that would go through the wrist, they'd go th right through, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, I'm sure that multiple of you could, but through the ulnar nerve, I believe, is what it is. And so, as it would pierce that nerve center, it would literally just send extreme hot fire all the way through your body. Uh, the same thing would happen into your legs, and the way that crucifixion killed you is not from blood loss or anything like that. It would actually be from suffocation. Because as the arms hung way, way, way high, right, they would put the, cross the legs and put them up higher. So in that position, to be able to breathe, Jesus would have to push up on the nail that's going through both feet just to get a breath in so his diaphragm could expand. Of course, when he did that, the pain in his legs and his feet and in his back that has already been opened up by a cat of nine tails, and here he is on a, a rugged, like splintered cross, um, as he pushed, pushed up, it was excruciating. And so they'd sit as long as they could to breathe and then go back down and then slowly, slowly, slowly they'd asphyxiate. Um, the Romans knew exactly how to do it. And they saved, they saved this. They put Golgotha's right outside the gate, outside of the city. And it was Jewish custom to never execute someone inside it also fulfills this whole concept that I wish I could talk about, but I can't. Have you ever heard what a scapegoat is? You know what a scapegoat is? You know, it's a Jewish thing where they basically place all the sins on this one goat and they send it running out into the wilderness to die out of this gate. You know where Golgotha is? Right out of that gate. This perfect lamb, and it was about the sixth hour, did you see that, that, that they crucified him? You know what they were doing at the temple right then, right there? They're sacrificing all the, uh, the Passover lambs. So Jesus, the true lamb of God, died like a goat while this other sacrifice was being made. It's, it all connects and it's beautiful. Let, let's keep going and, and we'll kind of get through this. And the inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, aha, you, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, he saved others. And they're not talking directly to Jesus, they're talking to one another, he saved others. They admit it. You see that? They admit it, like, oh no, we know who he is. We don't think he's a blasphemer, we know exactly who this guy is. He saved others. He can't save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see him and believe. 
Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the first verse of Psalm 22. Some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. They heard him say, Eli, Eli, and thought he was calling for Elijah. It's God's name. And someone ran. This is out of pity. They saw this torment that was happening, everything that was going on. More than likely, it was, a, um, it was one of the scribes like that had, that had condemned him and put him up on that tree. It was one of them that like, was so overwhelmed with whatever he was feeling, compassion, guilt, whatever it was, that he, he grabbed a, a sponge uh, and he ran with a reed and he dipped the sponge in sour wine, which is basically just a cheap wine. Definitely nothing fit for a king. In fact, it was what the Roman uh, army issued to soldiers, which they did not invest in highly uh, when it came to nice things and or restaurants. So the cheapest wine that you can imagine, sour wine. And he put it on this sponge and he, he dipped it on up to Jesus' face. And it's interesting because the branch he used was made of hyssop. And uh, every year on the Day of Atonement in the temple, the high priest would sprinkle blood over the, over the Ark of the Covenant. We ever heard this before? That's, like, that's what he would do. Like go in the Holy of Holies once a year, crazy day, everybody's like waiting on bated breath to make sure he doesn't die because he had one little sin in his life he hadn't repented of and God struck him dead at the Holy of Holies. But he brushes this blood, sprinkles this blood all over the Ark of the Covenant. And you know what he did it with? A hyssop branch. Like nothing is coincidental. Are we starting to see this? Nothing is coincidental. Everything is coming together in this amazingly perfect way. We see this plan that God has been planning before he created the world, every detail falling perfectly in line to be able to reach back into his creation and save them. He goes on and says this, and we'll finish it here. Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. We know that in other gospels, he said, it is finished, to tell us die. And the curtain of the temple, hear this, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This, temp, this curtain was like all these, like it was basically built with rope. Like they weaved rope together to make fabric in a, this crazy way. All right, this piece of curtain was something like three feet thick or something. Think about that. It's insane. And it's 40 feet tall, Okay and it was ripped from top to the bottom. The sun is blotted out for three hours. It was not a solar eclipse. Passover happened on a full moon. A solar eclipse can only happen around a new moon. For three hours, there was darkness. Another gospel says there was, the earth began to shake. Rocks split. Tombs opened up, and dead people started coming out of them. Like, young again with new bodies. Had to be crazy. You've got all this bustling stuff happening everywhere. You've got this mob around the cross mocking Jesus. You've got in the temple, there's people in the temple sacrificing lamb after lamb after lamb, this just complete bloodbath of screaming lambs. I wanna put you there. This is an insane, stinking place going on and this curtain 
this massive thing that's been there for hundreds of years is ripped in two from top to bottom, which means that no man could have done it. It was God himself that ripped it, signifying that there was no more barrier between God and man anymore, that there was no need for any more sacrifices of those lambs because the perfect lamb who God made into a goat for a few minutes and laid the sins of the world on had died. And it was finished. It was his victory yell. Yeah? Dude, so Friday night, cool football game. Only team I like anymore. Uh, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a coach at Sycamore High School. Let me tell you, it's, it's been one of the greatest ministries of my life. It's amazing. But um, we won a close one. <laughs> I mean, a close one. And it was whatever. And I'll just say this. There was a large victory yell. And a lot of it was literally just, ah, you know, like a bunch of meathead, honestly low IQ guys like, ah, and we're running around and like hugging and, yeah. Don't, don't, hey guys, if you're around my age, you can't hang with the young dudes when it comes to celebration. I promise. <laughs> you think you can, you cannot. But Jesus gives a victory yell and his is, it is finished. He can barely breathe at this point. His lungs are filling up with fluid. He, can't, he can hardly move anymore and he pushes up one last time, and after he got that drink of sour wine, because his, his, he was completely, utterly all moisture gone in his whole body, and he raises up and he screams, it is finished. He collapses dead. And we have a shift in what Mark, who he's talking about, because at, to this point, all the people that he's been talking about in the story are like opponents of Jesus. They're like on him constantly. They're accusing him. They're murdering him, honestly. Everybody's been a bad guy at this point. And then as soon as he dies and the sun's blotted out and the earth shakes and the, every, all this craziness is going on and Jesus says it is finished. Jesus on this cross, never sinning once, the whole entire time while he's being unlawfully and completely illegally murdered, he's saying stuff to the people who are killing him and saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's not sinning at all. In fact, he's doing stuff like taking care of his mama who's having to watch him hang on a cross in front of everybody naked. His disciple, John, who's probably about 14 years old, who's just weeping, weeping, because Jesus was basically all he had at this point. And he looks at both of them and he says, woman, meet your new son, John. John, meet, meet your new mother. Take her to your house and take care of her. While he's being hung on the cross and the cup of God's wrath, every bit of holy and righteous judgment and punishment for all sin being poured out onto him, separated completely from everything and everyone that he'd ever known, even the very presence of God not there. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, he is still concerned for others. Like, And I'll just paraphrase, because of it, there's a centurion standing there, a Roman soldier who leads all these guys who are killing him. He's standing next to the cross to make sure people don't come up and like try to rip them down or to try to kill them even further or whatever it might be. He's standing there and he sees this happen with everything going around him. 
And he sees how Jesus is doing, and he hears him yell, Telestai, and he says, surely that's the Son of God. It's a Roman dude. He doesn't care about Jewish tradition. He doesn't know who the Messiah is, who the Christ is. He sees Jesus' witness to the power of who he is, and he says, that has to be the Son of God. And the people that Jesus came for first, his own people, crucify him. Bring yourself down from that cross if you are who you say you are. And here's this Roman centurion that says that. And we see that there's women there. It's his mother. It's Mary Magdalene. It's the the, uh, mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, so John's mama. These women who, like, had nothing were widowed. They were completely insignificant, and, and all they had anymore was the hope that Jesus would deliver them. And see, that, that's the whole thing is that the whole book of Mark is basically the misunderstanding of Peter and the disciples into who Jesus really is. They knew he was the Messiah, the Christ. Peter even said he was. But they just knew that he was gonna come into Jerusalem that day. And somehow, some way, they didn't know how, he was gonna overthrow Rome. They were even planning on who was going to sit next to him when he was on his throne. You know, it's funny because Jesus warned them over and over and over, hey, this, the Son of Man has to suffer. And he has to die. And the people who you think that are going to welcome him with open arms, the chief priests and the Sanhedrin, and who are going to say, you are our champion, go deliver us from Rome, they're actually going to be the ones who kill me. Like, they're going to use Rome to do it, but Rome won't even care about me. He tells them this over and over, and they're like, what? Whatever, Jesus. Talking crazy again. Must have gotten to the sour wine again. No, you know? Uh, like it's over and over, he's telling them, and they don't get it. And not a single one of them other than John was at the crucifixion. Do you see that? Now, I, this, is, this is kind of where we're gonna land and where we're gonna sit. I told you I was just gonna preach about the cross, and that's the story right there. Jesus dies. He was for sure dead. Pilate made sure that he was dead before he buried him, right? They were gonna, they usually broke the legs of someone hanging on the cross. Um, If it was taking them too long, it'd speed up the process because then they couldn't push up anymore. They couldn't breathe, so they would would suffocate. Uh, But Jesus hadn't pushed up in a while, and so they took a spear and they put it in his side, fulfilled more prophecy, and blood and water came out, and that means that he was was dead, right? His lungs were full of water and edema was everywhere and all this stuff, and... um, it, it also kind of goes along with the prophecy thing, like not a bone shall be broken in him. There's, uh, there's hundreds of prophecies that get fulfilled in, in this, all this moment. And everything goes quiet. You don't hear about any more talk, like people reviling Jesus, deriding Jesus, yelling at Jesus, mocking Jesus. It's just done. Everybody goes back to their stuff, and then they take him off the cross. And in that six hours of hanging on the cross, God changes everything. See, what, what I like to do when I read a story, I like a good story. Y'all like a good story? The, what, the kind of story I like is one where I can really get invested in characters, right? I love characters. Like, I love that, I, and I also love characters that aren't, you don't, you're not sure about them, right? You think they're the good guy, but it's like every once in a while you're like, I wonder. Like, especially some of these spa shows, kind of spa shows have come out lately that are kind of like, 
oh yeah, they're a good person, they're here to help us, but maybe they're a terrorist too, we don't know, you know, it's like, oh, who is this person, we just don't know, I like, I like to invest in characters, and the reason I think a lot of us do is because we identify people, do you do this, like, do you identify with people and go, yeah, that, I'm a, like, from, from back in the day, I'm not going to say the name of the show, but from back in the day, it's like, oh, I'm a Samantha, right, we like to identify with characters, so I'll ask you a question, there, there's a ton of characters in there, Simon of Cyrene. I mean, all these just random kind of people. And Mark includes all these details because let me just say this, guys. If you're skeptical about if the Bible's real or whatever, this is eyewitness testimony. This isn't from Peter anymore. Mark's having to put it together from people that were there, right? But all these little details are in there so that it just proves over and over and over that this really did happen. And, and I want you to know this. This isn't a fairy tale. This was a real moment. It really, really happened. And that day, we see it in hindsight and go, oh my gosh, the cross, amazing. But that day for everyone else was the worst day of their life. But, but, but it happened. So I'm gonna ask you in that whole story, what character do you identify with? Is it the women at the cross who are weeping? Seeing, seeing their kind of support, their leader die, is it? Simon and Cyrene, I, I'm just, I was just, I was invited by somebody else to the party and now I'm like part of an execution, sweet. Uh, do you not identify with Peter? Man, I deny Jesus sometimes. Or, you know who I identify with? The most probably, Barabbas. Barabbas wasn't a good dude, was he? he, he in fact, it's funny because he, he was already in prison he was a part of this insurrection thing, right? And if you think about how this whole thing went down, that cross that Jesus hung on was actually gonna be his. They were getting it ready for him. And it's also interesting that, you know, the Jews come up and they say, hey, this guy is gonna overthrow Caesar. He's a, a criminal against Rome. He's a traitor. He's trying to start an uprising. He was most certainly not, was he? You know what Barabbas was gonna die for? Exact same thing. Barabbas murdered. Jesus was gonna get murdered. And I feel like Barabbas, because completely undeserving of it, Jesus literally becomes my sin, even though he's perfect, and he hangs on my cross and dies for my sins and takes all the wrath and the punishment that I deserved as he hung up there. And you know who I murdered? Jesus. You know who I hated? God. I was the rebel. It called Barabbas the rebel. I'm the rebel. I'm the one who says, no, the current king is not the one. I'm gonna start a rebellion. I'm gonna overthrow God himself and I am gonna become my own God. That is how we all enter this world and we live our lives in the flesh. We are traitors against the throne. The highest crime in any country is treason and we've all committed it against the creator of the dang universe, the most powerful, Everlasting, 
holy, righteous, and honestly frightening being ever. And what does he do? He says, I will take your place. I will literally pour my own punishment out on my own son. He will hang on your cross and he will get crushed by me. And Isaiah says that I will be pleased to do it because you're worth it. You hear that today? You are worth it to God that he would send his son to suffer extreme suffering and take wrath and punishment on your behalf. And you know what you did? You know what you did to deserve it? Absolutely nothing. And that's what Paul's talking about when he talks about the simplicity and the beauty and the power of the message of the cross. You, it's a message of freedom. It's good news sent out to all the world that now you, there is salvation. There is redemption. That God has made a way because you were completely hopeless. You were Barabbas. It was the day of your execution. God even says at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, didn't he? You think Barabbas was relieved? It doesn't say what Barabbas went and did. I'm sure he went and still like, murdered people. I don't know. We don't know. I always grew up thinking, oh, that dirty Barabbas. Who knows? It could have it saved him and changed his life. Oh, who knows? We don't know about Barabbas at all. Past that. I just know that that's me. I don't deserve it. None of us do. Second Corinthians, what, is it up to 521? For he made him sin who knew no sin. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Hebrews, it says this. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. He drank out of the cup so you wouldn't have to. You want to know if God loves you or not? You wonder about it? You, are you the person who like sits around and you do something and you're ashamed and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't even want to be around God. I don't want to, I, I'm just crushed by all this stuff because I'm afraid he won't love me. Look at the cross. If you're the person who's constantly trying to live up to a certain standard, trying to make sure that every little thing is perfectly in line, that every duck is in a row. Like, you want to be a good person. And this, this could be you, Christian, that you're still kind of like struggling with like this checklist of what it means to be a Christian. I got to go to church. Can't cuss. Can't smoke. Can't, all the things that they taught me in, in the 80s in church, like R-rated movies of the devil, things like that. Like, that checklist, the cross says your checklist is never going to measure up ever, daily, you will fail it miserably. You will Barabbas it out every single day. Look to the cross. If you're in this room and you're a skeptic about God in general, Jesus, that all this stuff might be a lie and might be completely made up. I'll say this. There's a reason that you're sitting in this room today. There's a reason that Thousands of years later, you're sitting in this room. There's a reason that thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people have faced death, ran into it laughing. It's because it's real. Because 
I, I know it's real, and you, you don't have to believe me, but I didn't know what forgiveness and mercy and grace and love really, really were until the moment I realized how the depths of my sin and my betrayal and that Jesus hung up there on that cross anyway because he could have come down. He didn't have to do it. And for you and for me, he suffered. So here's, I'm gonna send you out with this because I've gone really, really long. Amen. Um, you know what Jesus says to do? And this is for anybody in this room. This is the call every day for anybody in this room. The first time Peter foretells his death, or uh, Jesus foretells his death in Mark 8, he says, um, like Peter gets all mad, rebukes him. He's like, get behind me, Satan. Like you're trying to stop me from suffering, and that's what I have to go do. That's what the whole book of Mark is about. The king suffers for the, the prisoner. Like that's the theme. Um, but he says, if you're gonna follow me, you have to pick up your cross. You have to die to yourself because anyone who wants to save his life will lose it, and anyone who wants to lose his life will save it. The idea is that we surrender to Jesus. We say, not my way anymore, your way. For you who are in here who might have never put your faith in Christ or followed Christ or said, hey, this might be the first time you've ever sat in a church building before, whatever. Faith is this, believing that this is real and saying, Jesus, I want you to control my life, not me. You be the Lord of it. I believe that you died and you rose again and that you'll forgive me of my sins. That's, that's it. And hey, Christian, guess what? The same advice to you. You know what it means to follow Jesus? Because Mark is about disciples and discipleship too. You know what it means to follow Jesus? To pick up your cross every day. Remember that it's not your effort that forgives you. Where grace comes from, where power to live comes from. Remember that if you're gonna follow Jesus, then you need to care for people like he did on a cross. The disciples did. They all died for it. Peter, he comes back pretty strong. <laughs> he never denies Jesus again. In fact, he's executed for him. And the whole church is built on him. And you're sitting here because that guy who messed up constantly, <laughs> the cross meant something to him. Let's pray. God, um, I just pray the story of the cross today. It still moves us. Uh, even me, God, I, I've never preached that in like 20 years of doing this. And man, I should be preaching that every day. <laughs> so God, help us to see that the cross is, is the most important thing still to this day, every single day. God, if there's anyone in this room right now that, God, searching, God, that is broken and hurt, God, that thinks that maybe that, that they're too far gone or that they've done too much, God, I pray that they would hear the message of the cross, that they would realize that if the murderous Barabbas gets pardoned, that if me, the betrayer, preacher up here, sinner can be forgiven by a holy God. I pray, God, that they would see today, you would open their hearts to see that Jesus is salvation. So Jesus, thank you for the cross. Amen.